From Bainbridge Island to the villages. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America. Buckeye to Abbotsford. Time out, baby, yeah! St. George to Rochester and all points in between. If you've heard of pickleball or you already play it, then you know. This is the Pickleball Show. This is Coach Ball from PickleballCoach.com. And here's the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Thank you, Coach Mo. Live from the PBX Club Studios in Asheville, North Carolina, it's the Pickleball Show. I am your host, Chris Allen, coming back from the Atlantic South Regionals. That was last weekend in Mobile, Alabama. Boy, had a great time, met some great people. Thank you to everybody down there. Karen Parrish, District Ambassador. Wow, what a job she did organizing that. A lot of fun. I got to see Melissa McCurley and actually spend some time face-to-face with her. Not much time, though, because, oh boy, she is going like gangbusters. Uh, I thought I had a pretty good take on the job that she does at these tournaments for pickleballtournaments.com. Truth is, I didn't know the half of it. She does an amazing job. I don't see how she keeps it all in line and together. I already call her the hardest working person in pickleball, and now (laughs) I am doubly sure that that's true. Got to shake hands with Rocket Grubs and meet the Grubs family, wonderful people, also the Elliott family. Made a lot of new friends out there, and thank you to everybody, uh, CJ and John up in Michigan. They were wonderful to hang around with. Uh, Ruth down in the villages. Ruth said that she listens to the podcast while she's doing laundry. So, uh, Ruth, if you're down there listening right now, you're missing one sock. It's hiding out in the dryer. I played in two events down there. Didn't do any singles uh, because I wanted to give other people a chance to win. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Now, I would be terrible at singles, but I did do uh, mixed doubles on Saturday. Eh, I just couldn't seem to find the gear. I just made some boneheaded plays. Learned from it. Definite learning experience. Uh, Made some adjustments going into Sunday when I played uh, men's. And I'm sure my partner, Trish, is thinking, I wish you could have made some adjustments on Saturday. (laughs) So, Trish, sorry about that, but it sure was fun playing with you. And uh, Sunday, made some adjustments, was able to play better that day. And uh, my men's partner is the one and only Rodney Allman. Uh, Many of you know Rodney from his uh, popular Facebook page, and he's everywhere. He's uh, he's always, he's at Nationals, he's down in Naples, Uh, he's he's, uh, always on the go, it seems like. But uh, great guy. Played well together. We wound up being fortunate enough to win the uh, gold in the 35 plus 4.0 category. And uh, you're thinking, well, 35 plus, you always say you're 53. Yeah, I am, but Rodney is 47. So uh, two partners don't match up category wise. You play in the younger category. Just like if you don't match up skill wise, you play up, you play in the higher skill category. So we played in the 35 plus. Very fortunate to come away with that gold. And let me tell you, couldn't share the podium with a nicer guy. Rodney, thank you. Enjoyed it and I look forward to doing it again. That tournament was so much fun. It definitely exposed a lot of weak spots in my game, lots of room for improvement, and that's why I'm looking forward to talking with one of the best players in the world right now. You've seen him at the finals and nationals, you've seen him on the gold medal podium at Tournament of Champions, the reigning Masters champion from Scottsdale, Arizona. It's Matt Staub. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, too. Thank you for joining us today, answering some listener questions and also audience questions. Let me go to an email question. 
question here. This one comes from Mike in Rock Falls, Illinois. Mike says, I know my rating for doubles is 4.0, but how do you rate yourself for singles? I can't find any guide on the internet for singles ratings. What do you think about that, Matt? Is there a place or or anything on the USAPA, uh, a list of guidelines or skills that you need in order to assess your, your rating in the singles category? Um, I, I am the last person to be talking to about uh, ratings, <laughs> okay. scores, even remembering score, uh, anything rule related. I, I really do not know. So I can't tackle that one. I'm sorry. Well, then I'll go ahead and step in because the formula that works for me when I want to get my singles rating is to take my doubles rating and then just divide it in half. So, <laughs> yeah, same actually. <laughs> actually, you can probably divide it more than that for me. If you're a three five, yeah, then you know one point seven five. I think is singles. No, well, you uh, <laughs> just being able to anticipate where the ball is going. That seems to be the key to singles. Is is you're playing you know one and two and three moves ahead. It seems like. Well, if we want to get on singles at the top level now. A lot of the guys are, I mean, movement, obviously, I mean, it is absolutely brutal in singles. The return of serve has to be big. Your serve has to be big. And these guys are so fast that they're running around their backhands, almost all of them outside of Marcin, running around their backhands just to destroy forehands and just hitting clean passing shots, which I have not mastered yet. I can watch them and tell you how you're supposed to do it, but uh, (laughs) they make it look really easy, and it's not. Marcin is the only guy that would probably come over, uh, hit a topspin backhand, or hit that patented uh, little backhand dink cross-court heavy chip approach that just eats people alive. So I think those are the two or the couple main skills that you need for singles. Uh, And if you watch any of those guys, Rob, Marcin, Daniel, Dalton, Kyle, any of those guys, just take notes. It is amazing, the athleticism involved in it. And, uh, oh boy, these days too, I'm 53 now, and I, that would just that would tear my knees up to be able to, to well, because I know that my opponent would just run me back and forth ragged, you know, back and forth on that court. It would be like doing wind sprints for however, oh, however long yeah, it I took tell, to Yeah, I tell everybody, you know, I've, I've played a ton of tennis, and anyone that has played tennis, that singles pickleball is worse. I mean, physically, you know, it's just stop, go. And since you can't, close on the net with the no volley zone, it just makes all your movements just so rigid. And, and whereas tennis is smooth and you can anticipate and you can close and cut off things, it is just straight wind sprints back and forth, hard on your knees. It's it's brutal. Mm. Now, you were a baseball player in college, weren't you? Yes, that's correct. What did you play? I, I did a little bit of everything. I, I pitched and played third primarily, but I, I have played, I played every position outside of catcher in college. Are there any uh, baseball skills that you feel like have helped you as a pickleball player? That's a, that's a good question. Um, Do you try to look at the holes of the pickleball, determine which way it's spinning or anything like that? You know, it's funny. I've heard people say, you know, you always hear people say that, uh, laces on the ball. I was never able to do that, and, and everybody I played with, I, I don't think anyone was really ever able to do that. Maybe that's why the major leaguers are so good. They, they have that great a vision. Um, I never did that, and, and as far as looking at the pickleball, I don't do that looking for holes either. Um, <laughs> come back to me on that one. I'll see if I can think of comparable. <laughs> no problem. Let's talk real quick about the third shot, because I've mentioned before that that uh, third shot video that uh, that you guys did with Pickleball Channel, you and your dad did, is is one of the crucial. That should go in the in the pickleball time capsule. You know, that should be if, if somebody, a new player said, 
I'm just starting out, give me a pointer, give me a tip, I would say, here, sit down, watch this video, and watch it five times until you absorb it, and then go out and do it. That would be the one thing, because that was the the turning point or the light bulb moment for me uh, when I was just starting out, that video you guys did. Um, in your third shot, oftentimes, I noticed that it seems to be just a tiny bit higher than other people, and I don't know if that's a trick of the camera or if you're building in just a tiny bit of padding, would you rather err on the side of, it's gonna be soft, I'm gonna drop it in, but it's gonna be, I'd rather it be a tiny bit high and I'll deal with it if it comes back rather than it be too low and into the net. Is that a fair assessment? I'm glad you brought that up because that's the number one thing when you know we're teaching people or, or someone asks about the third ball. I think that's the biggest misconception is people think that, oh, well, it's got to be a centimeter over the net and it's got to land right at their toes or I'm in trouble. When in reality, all, all you're trying to do is make them hit up on the ball. So I can I think it is true that my third ball is probably higher than most. That's not an illusion. Um, and that's just because I feel like as long as they are hitting up on the ball or as long as they have to let it bounce, that I'm safe. So even if I hit it pretty high to where it's going to bounce and still get up high enough to where, you know, they can still come over it, attack it, whatever they want to do, I still feel safer doing that than trying to thread the needle and, and missing the net or something. So basically you're playing percentages where if it takes you, you know, the classic third ball, maybe a fourth, fifth try at it, at least, you know, your percentage from the net, if I give it plenty of clearance, might be, you know, I'm, I can hit this ball 90% the first time. Mm -hmm. And then as I progressively move closer, my percentages are, are continually going up. Whereas if you just go for the clean, perfect third ball, you might hit that 50% of the time. And at today's level, you're going to have to be constantly putting balls. You can't be missing third balls in the net period. So mm -hmm. you got to at least make them hit, on, hit up on the ball so you can try to get a couple steps and keep working forward. Well, that's one thing, too, that continues to inspire me watching you play. It's it's sort of taught me that the third shot doesn't have to be perfect because uh, for a while I used to think if I don't hit that third shot, if I don't get all the way up to the line on that third shot, then I've failed and I've let my partner down and, eh, you know, the whole point's just kind of falling apart from this uh, at this point. But watching watching you play, you're perfectly fine with getting up there on a fifth shot or a seventh shot. You make some headway in there. And uh, so that's really helped me, I guess, kind of convince myself that it's okay. You don't have to get it all in one shot. You can take two or three shots to get up there and earn your way to the net. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I think the other thing is that, you know, your partner has to be on board. It doesn't do me any good to, and this is what, you know, we were talking about approaching cross quarter down the line. A lot of times I like to go down the line just because if my partner's cheating in a little too much or my third ball's high, at least it is down the line and I know where I need to be. And considering that they are cross court, they have more distance and more time to react that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I approach my third ball cross court, it's going to land right in front of my partner's face and they're going to get lit up if it's not good enough. So your partner does have to be on board. So, you know, it doesn't do me any good to hit that higher third ball that might not quite be perfect 
if my partner's just going to run in there and lose the point right away. So they both have to be on board. One thing I've been seeing more and more of lately also is, I guess, I don't know what the official name for it is. I just call it more of the half volley game, where it just seems like guys are, are picking more and more shots up on the half volley, whether they're at the baseline, whether they're in no man's land, whether they're up at the non-volley zone line. They're just just letting that ball bounce just a split second, and then they're scooping it up and taking it. Is it a, a deliberate strategy? Is there a reason behind it? Why do you think I'm seeing that more? Um, it, the short hop is is a huge part of this game, and I know for me, I use it a ton, and, and pretty much everyone uses it a ton. And I think some people, when they're starting out, are a little bit afraid of it or intimidated by using that shot, but as you get comfortable with it, I honestly feel more comfortable using a short hop like that than trying to take a, a mid-court easy ball, really. I mean, it just it, it becomes natural once you get used to it. What's I don't know the, if you're seeing more of it. Well, but, what's the big benefit? Um, think, maybe I'm just noticing it more, maybe because I'm looking for it more. Uh, you know, it's it's jumping out at me more. Because, yeah, uh, the beginning players want to take the ball at its apex. They want to let it bounce. And then when it's at its highest, they feel like, that's the, the best time to hit it. I know that uh, Prame Carnot says to wait till after the ball is apex, that you actually have more control when it's on the way down. Uh, but it seems like these guys are just letting it touch the ground, and then they're scooping it up and sending it back over. Well, there's pretty much two ways to play, and I think you're, you're absolutely either going to hit it at the apex or you're going to short hop it. There's no, there shouldn't be any in-between. If you're playing in-betweens, you're probably losing more points than not. So you're <laughs> going to play one of those two options. And you're going to have lots of short hop volleys at the no volley zone when you're on the line looking for that ball that you're going to misdirect or put away. So you're going to have to, you know, let's say it's up a little bit and you think you're going to misdirect it or put the ball away and it's, it's still too low. Well, then you're going to use that short hop. So I think if you're in there looking to find the balls that you want, you're going to have to be using a short hop effectively. Gotcha. Now, another thing that I've been seeing more lately is the, uh, the move, uh, I guess, across the kitchen, out over into the sideline. I'm not sure what the name of it would be, but uh, say you hit a dink, and then all of a sudden you you dart over, you know, kind of catty corner between the kitchen, and now you're on the sideline. And, uh, I mean, maybe you're going to block something that's coming back over, but uh, am I describing it correctly? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're referring to kind of the Ernie shot is what, what a lot of people call it. What's um, it called again? I'm sorry. And that's... The the Ernie shot, I think, is what a lot of people, where you go around the kitchen, you're pretty much outside of the court. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That goes back to what I was talking about in a previous episode where the game is becoming more athletic um, than mental mm-hmm. because now that, and I used to hate that. I used to think that was the dumbest thing ever, but it absolutely is part of the game now because you can take away options. I think this game is so much about squeezing your opponent and taking away options, and that's just another way to do it. So you go around the kitchen one time, get a free point. Well, now they're going to be hesitant to play down the line. So now you're taking away the down the line shot. And if your opponent or my partner, so for example, the, the at TOC, Daniel is hitting perfect cross-court backhands. So as long as he's doing that, it keeps me safe to be able to do what I want to do. So if he's hitting a perfect cross-court backhand, I know they're going to have to short hop it. So they're not going to be able to hit a clean winner by me. They're not going to be able to do anything like that. So it's really not that much of a risk to run outside the kitchen and take away the line. So now that I'm taking away the line, they have to go back cross-court, which is hard to do when your partners hit a perfect dink that's really heavy, skipping, backspin, you know, a good chip. It makes it, you know, they're like miserable. And that's the trigger? I was going to ask uh, what triggers or when do you know when to go? 
and that's what right. you're looking for? A lot of people, you know, you can guess sometimes, you know, if you just want to flat out take a guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, some people, you know, I, I'd like to be able, okay, well, I'll take the baseball thing into this. A lot of people, I, I would like to be able to read it. So, you know, you're looking at the paddle and you kind of see that they're going to go down the line. That would trigger you to go. Now, that is hard to do, nearly impossible, really. But in baseball, we used to have this thing where, you know, you're on first and you should be able to read when the ball is going to be in the dirt. And so, so you would take off and steal second base. Mm -hmm. And so that was just something that you would practice time and time again that, you know, okay, catcher is in cues, you're looking for catchers, drop it and block and you need to take off. So with this, you know, if you see it angle a little bit, maybe you go for it. But right now it is mainly for me predicated on how good was my partner's dink or how good was my dink. If I hit a really effective dink in front of me down the line, I'm going to take a chance at it because I know that they're not going to be able to be offensive off of my dink or my partner's dink. So that's when really you're not taking much of a risk by doing that because even if they dink it to you know somewhere not at you, you're going to be able to recover because they're, they can't get offensive off of a really good dink. That makes sense. What about any kind of uh, pre-game or pre-tournament routines, any kind of rituals that you do or anything uh, nutritionally that you do to, to get up for a, a long day in a tournament? Because you're, you know, if you're in a tournament, odds are you're pretty much going to go to the end. Yeah, I, well, that's that's saying a lot. I, uh, I think we can relate this back to baseball again, that they say uh, baseball people are really superstitious and, and all that stuff. So if I you know, and winning, this, that, and the other. Yeah, I like it in Bull Durham well. when he says, when you're on a streak, don't mess with the streak. Exactly. So, I, you know, I'll keep the same things going. It might be little things just as far as clothes, hats, this, that, and the other, you know, way I'm facing my paddle. But I, I am uh, probably weird when it comes to that. So I, I can definitely say I got that from baseball. <laughs> Well, we certainly look forward to uh, to hearing more uh, from you and enjoyed having you on this episode and previous episodes. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. Thanks for having me, Chris, and I hope I can uh, run into you in North Carolina sometime. Sounds good, and you can find everything that Matt Staub is up to at his website, poachpb.com, also Facebook page and YouTube channel. We'll link to all of those in the show notes. And guess what? You can run into Matt Staub in North Carolina this July, the 15th, 16th, 17th, it's Pickleball Summit, Charlotte, North Carolina. Matt's going to be there along with national men's champion Matthew Blom, national women's champion Sarah Ansbury, and the pickleball guru Prem Carnot. All four of these pickleball all-stars will be joining forces for what amazing weekend of pickleball training and playing. Get your tickets right now. There's never going to be a more affordable time because in the month of April, you buy one ticket, you get the next ticket half price. Go to pickleballsummit.com. That's pickleballsummit.com. Look forward to seeing you, Charlotte, North Carolina, July 15th, 16th, 17th for Pickleball Summit. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.